I mean, I have more questions about like money and wealth, (laughs) (laughs) which as an art person, you're never supposed to say excites you, but it definitely interests. I I mean, I think um, we have no choice but to be interested in it and that could be a positive or negative thing. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. Frankie Barnett, thank you for coming on the show. You are an author, an amazing writer for multiple uh, things. You got a kick-ass attitude towards betterment and Although, you know, you're art focused, uh, I have a huge respect for you in, uh, in the work you do and have done to date. And I'm excited to go on this uh, journey that we don't know uh, where it will go, but we are talking about being three feet from gold and what that means for everyone. The book Think and Grow Rich uh, is a book written by Napoleon Hill. He references a miner who is digging. He stops because he can't find anything. He gives up. Someone else comes into that hole later, goes a little bit in a different direction and strikes a massive gold vein. And that, you know, three feet from gold references that. And how I'm tying that into wealth and lifestyle today is, you know, we are on a track, we're going a certain direction and we might be hitting a roadblock. We might be stumbling along and being, uh, thinking we're going to give up and maybe it's an investment. Maybe it's trying to find a house to live in, which is extremely hard in this time. And maybe we just need to spin the lens a bit and take a deep breath back up and look at it. So, Frankie, I, I'm going to give you the floor to to we've put, we're going to put our boxing gloves on and let you uh, fire away with your questions because you're a, a, a great researcher. And I'm I'm excited to have you on the show today. So thanks for coming on. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here, too. And I think that's the first time anyone has ever told me. They have a kick-ass attitude towards <laughs> life, or however you put it. Towards betterment, yeah. Towards betterment. Um, I would love. I would love to think that I that I have that, but I do have a tendency towards uh, being a little pessimistic. So <laughs> we'll change that. By the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I wanted to start with asking you, um, as, I, as I was saying before, a little bit. I kind of. I was doing the research about this this little anecdote that you just uh, told about the the miner digging for or mining for gold. Um, I think I got two two different senses of of what that could mean. The the first being a little bit about what you described in a more literal sense. Someone is working really hard, is looking for that gold. Um, they come against come up against an obstacle and and they they give up, not knowing that they were unbelievably close to finding their success. Um, and then when I when I was just reading some of your notes that you wrote to me, you talked about it more in terms of, I think you mentioned that, you know, helping your your clients find, um, you know, find a new house or, or find the money to to go on vacation or to um what did you say? You said building a pool at the at their house. Yeah, I did say that. That was before, yeah. So I'm I'm interested just in the idea that when we're putting ourselves in the scenario, gold doesn't have to be literally money. It could be something else in our lives. And is that is that sort of what you meant by by that? 
Yeah, I think so. You you bring up something uh, that I never thought of was the the experience. So, you know, people are you know what I see, and it's starting to shift now. But I, I see a lot of people living a life where the gold happens in retirement. So you sacrifice your whole life. So their whole life, I envision this person going through life with a vision of the gold, whether that's a trip, an experience, a pool in their house or whatever your thing is. And literally on the other side of the road that you're going on, there's like, that stuff is right there. You just need to reach over and grab it. And if you did reach over and grab it, it wouldn't take you that far off course that you would be so irresponsible for the future. And I think, you know, I, I recently did, a, uh, I've built a webinar and uh, the premise is I went on this certain experience. It cost a fair bit of money, but at the time I rationalized it like it's a once in a lifetime thing. So it's not going to be uh, uh, forever, but I talk about, you know, I'm literally in, I'm in an airplane and it's a fighter plane experience and I can see the reflection of myself in the in the cockpit as we're like taxing out to the runway and i'm i'm like i'm looking at myself going do i deserve this like can i actually afford this is this good use of money is this like should i have done this i like you know so i'm still rest even though i'm excited i'm literally right there and not present because i'm so worried about old beliefs that like th- this might affect me when i'm 60 and so, you know, that kind of three feet from gold analogy, I think, it, you know, when people are going through life and they've ingrained it in themselves that they've got to live a certain way, they've got to save a certain way, they've got to put money in a certain way and no deviating is wrong. And the only way to get that unpacked is to understand your surroundings and I think a lot of entrepreneurs that we work with, a lot of people listening would probably resonate where it's, I'm busy. I'm busy. I got my blinders on. I'm hard charging. I'm like, I want to increase my revenue by this much. I want to add this many staff. I want to buy a building. I want to do whatever. And you really, if you just take a look breath back, you probably could do that thing. You probably could take a day off. You probably could put the pool in. But if you don't have someone, you don't have a professional to help you sort of lay that out. It can be something that just gets kicked down the road. And next thing you know, you're 60 and you still haven't done it. And, you know, I don't want to get too carried away because people know sort of my premise of like, you know, you get to 60, get to 63 and pass away. And yet you've got lots of money in the bank. And so it was all, you know, and that isn't everyone's story, but it's, it's definitely a real scenario that, you know, I want to protect people from. So is that, is that kind of what you were, you were seeing yeah, the research definitely i i do want to ask you what you were doing in the fighter jet uh <laughs> a vacation it, it was uh it was right before covid uh it's in phoenix it's a it's a fighter pilot like experience so you're in base you're not in a fighter like an f-18 or something you're in a plane that is called uh an extra 300 l and this plane uh-huh. reacts and acts as close as you can get to a fighter jet without being an $18 million fighter jet. So this experience, you've got a pilot behind you, you're in a jet or in a, it's a prop plane. You've got a, you know, the, all the controls and you've got buttons on it that you can 
shoot uh, a laser. And if you hit the other plane where there's another guy who's paid and an instructor and you dogfight and you fight each other in, in the, the air. Sky. Yeah. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's um, yeah. So it's, you know, if you think about how much you pay for how much time you're in the experience that, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of like head scratching around that, but I've told that story and relived that experience a number of times in the last three years that the cost per storytell is very low. And that's, I think, something of value that, you know, a pool, it's same thing. So just to close off the story, just so everyone kind of gets the context, you taxi out in the runway, you fly, you take off, uh, and it's in the, the, the airport in Phoenix, the Mesa airport, where it's uh, actually the Air Force's, there's a, a training base there for a lot of choppers and planes. So there is big helicopters, big planes coming in military, and you're taking off literally beside the other, uh, your opponent, if you will. And you fly out to, you know, out over the desert and then they do missions where you chase each other. And then you try and like the only way when you're in a, uh, a fighter, a firefight in the, is to pull your plane in a tighter circle than the other person because if you can't if you're if you're chasing each other if you just fly straight you can get behind them and shoot them if you pull like loops and and hard turns and you can pull harder than the other person they can never actually get what they call angles on you to get the guns in front of the other plane and shoot so when you drive you go into the gunfire so it's quite taxing on your body. They call it G's or G force where, you know, they do a series of tests as it's like a, on a roller coaster. When you go oh. way up over the thing, you get negative G's. And when you come down and you hit the bottom, that's the full G's, which is the weight of your body times. I can't remember the ratio, but it's a lot. And so it fatigues you. So when you're pulling, you're either black, you're almost blacking out trying to get away, or you're trying to pull harder than the other person so you could shoot them, but it, you get tired. And so you let off. And so that's, that's the way to get away. If you're in front and you're getting shot at, the only way is to keep pulling a tighter circle and outlast your opponent, which to be super truthful, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. If you yeah, <laughs> so out of, yeah, out of eight dog fights, I only won two. Uh, and this guy was an IT guy from Toronto. And I just thought, you know, when I was standing in the base, you know, I had an army shirt on, it was all macho. And I definitely had some humbling, uh, <laughs> humbling thoughts by the end. Uh, so yeah, you fight chasing each other, you fight straight on. So you come straight at each other and you flip and you try and get behind each other. And then, so after that's all over, uh, they, they come on the radio and they're like, yeah, so, um, you know, part of your package is an acrobat package. Uh, so I'm already almost pretty green. I haven't got sick or I, I didn't get sick. Uh, but I felt like I wanted to go back to base. Uh, and she goes, yeah, you know, now we've got another 15 minutes of acrobat. So that's literally like, they do these like knife edge where they get the plane spinning flat. They'll spin it over like, <laughs> and so by the time that was over, uh, I was definitely, uh, done. So again, I would tie it back to, um, Sometimes in life, you have to look at what you're spending or the experience and say, you know, is this, is this who I am? Is this okay. something, you know, every year for, for X amount of years, we've tried to do one thing that's like that car racing, skydiving, different things. And uh, that's, 
like it, it's, it's life and it's, uh, it's something that's important. And so I won't have an extra few grand when I'm 65. <laughs> so thanks for asking about that. I haven't lived that story. So I'm feeling pumped now. I'm ready. I'm ready. That's awesome. So I guess coming back to, to what you were saying before about trying to encourage uh, your clients and leading by example, by uh, doing, just being able to enjoy their lives more. I'm curious about if and how that can be a, a struggle for people. I recently, I was just like, scrolling through Instagram. And I think because I've been doing this work for, uh, for lawyers, financial and writing more about finances, I started getting all these ads from like oh, yeah. motivational yeah. speakers who are like billionaires. Is it working? And, <laughs> and but it, it was interesting. This guy said, it's easier to make your second million dollars than your first million dollars, because by the time you make your million, your first million, you've already become a person who is capable of doing that. I mean, you've already developed the the discipline and the habits and the work ethic that make that possible. And I'm wondering, and I'm thinking about maybe clients of yours who who have done that work on themselves to to be able to achieve whatever achieve success. I mean, does that ever become an impediment to the other side of what you're talking about in terms of taking time off or stepping back? Is that I something people yeah. struggle with? I, I think so. To answer the first question, yes, I think that's true in a few things. Like once the numbers are bigger, you know, if you're making a 20% return on 100 grand, that's 20 grand. If you're making a hundred percent or twenty percent return on a million, that's two hundred. Right. So as the numbers get bigger, if you can keep the returns the same, then you're going to have acceleration in in the wealth. Um, I, I'll kind of address. I think what you're saying, and then maybe you can can clean up clean up the question. But my what, what I think happens as a business owner, you come out of the gate, and all you're trying to do is survive. So you're trying to survive and then you go through a stage where you are in sustain mode and then you kind of have success mode and then you have significance mode. And it's once you sort of got the ball rolling, it's hard to unpack the, the survival mode that you came in with because I see it with older clients. I see it with family members who are older. You just never know when, when something bad might happen. And in the world today that we live in, there's no shortage of negative news and sort of pessimism around everything. So if you can't clear that, you combine that with the survival mentality and you have this thing where it's like, there's never enough and it's hard to turn off the gas. Because what if it goes back to when you weren't a business owner and you were struggling in that. And so that's a big fear. I'm a probability person. I took engineering in school. I look at like, you know, if you've been successful for 20 years at, or so, so you've been in business for 20 years, you've been successful for 13 straight years and you're getting more, you know, more connections, you know, more connections equals more opportunity starts to show up. Uh, the likelihood of you all of a sudden just off a cliff and needing to be in survival mode is probably low probability versus the same trajectory. 
Now, if you think of the same trajectory on either side of that line, you could have a really good year or you could have a really shit year. And so as long as you're sort of staying in that and you're managing your risk well with, with, with the help of somebody or just with the help of your own perspective and sort of going, what is my stress test in my business? What are the, the things that are front and center that could impact this business? You know, right to, you know, worst case for business owner probably is you're in debt and you have no business. Uh, you know, I, or you die, I guess that might be worse, but uh, you know, low probability things. So, you know, managing your risk. Um, you bring up an interesting point of, I did a podcast about three episodes ago about decumulation. So someone who builds up their asset, their business, their whole life, they go in, the key works in the door, they open it, they see the secretary, they see their, you know, staff, that's their identity. And when you sell the business, you all of a sudden exchange value that was in this business for money that's in your bank account. And the key doesn't work in the door. Uh So you are now just a guy. And my father references it like, you know, when he retired, he was quite surprised that literally when you walk down the first hole of the golf course, you got your little foursome of people you maybe know or don't, but someone doesn't know you says, well, what do you do? You know, or my dad would ask him, what do you do? And I'm a this, I'm a that. And he'd ask him, well, what do you do? And he'd say, well, I'm retired. It was like a wall. It was like, that was the end of the conversation. Like people's interest yeah. is, is low. So you could, un, you know, I could, I could have encouraged him to, to re un, or rejig that story in what he's saying to himself. I'm retired. It's like, no, I'm into this. I used to work. Now I'm into this. And so it's just how you position, I think you need to be mindful of, but for a lot of people, that is a scary moment where you've got this like pot of money that before you used to go into the business and it would spit you out a salary or a dividend every year. And now all of a sudden you got this money. So how do you actually spend it? And people really struggle with it. They really, uh, you know, struggle with it. And so that's why I'm super passionate about catching people when they're 40 Uh and trying to help. Per, you know, build a mindset that you're ready for that, or you're ready and willing to maybe sell some of the company before you're going to retire. And then you're still kind of in the mix and maybe, maybe only work two days a week. And, and some businesses, I know it doesn't work, but like, you know, if you're a professional doctor, dentist, lawyer, you could go to two days a week and say you make $80,000 with those two days a week, or you work six months, you know, if, if, if the projects in your job allow for that. That I think is, is a more interesting approach because you're getting the lifestyle. You're still kind of in the mix. You know, a big part of retirees is you lose social uh, collisions, you know, unless you've got a you know, massive hobby network, but for, for a lot of people, you know, at your business, you're talking to suppliers, you're talking to your staff, you're talking to other business owners that are part of your groups. So you got this kind of synergy and you're kind of getting a pulse on things. Once you sell your business, if you don't, if you aren't mindful of staying in the pulse, you can create a bit of social awkwardness because you're out of, so you got all the money in the world, but yet your life isn't as potential as it could be. And that I think is, I want to, I want, I don't want that to happen to the people that work with me that are younger for sure. Right. I mean, 
you need a person needs to feel they have a place in society. And I would imagine, especially with retirement, I mean, we know why people retire. They're reaching, you know, not not like the end is, you know, tomorrow, but they are reaching the end of their lives. And I can imagine that it's a terrible feeling to just yeah. To, to know, you know, you not only no longer have, you know, or may feel like you have a place or have a role in society, but to feel like it's because, you know, your time is up. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's a lot of self-sabotage. I think other than a health, you know, an unforeseen health issue, uh, being mindful of what you say to yourself is super important, which I already touched on, but say, you know, the, I, I'm too old. I can't do that. You know, all those, those kind of limiting thoughts. I'm sure some days you feel like absolute dog shit and are sore. And there's different things as a 40 year old, I, you know, older people listening, like, Oh, service, you have no freaking clue. I get that. But I, you know, you've got, you've got uh, an intentional way of living is available to most people, uh-huh. you, know, you know, setting your intent, you know, that's a huge part of thinking grow rich is, intentional living and I'm going off on a tangent now, but I, I, you know, was with some people yesterday in in Kelowna and, you know, different sort of social media, listening to the videos that were being played. And I was thinking in my head just quietly, I didn't say anything, but did you really go look for that information? Did you really go look for that news thing that's talking to you right now on your phone? And the answer is no, people are scrolling. And something's in their face and it's giving them influence in their brain. Yet their goals, only I, I knew all these people, I, their goals are way fucking different. Their goals what? are over here, yet they're, they're bathing their mind in something that is, has no direct positive impact on their goals. You mean just like kind of like scrolling through really negative, um, sensational headlines? Yeah, your social media, whatever the the topic, you know, you could insert whatever topic you want that's negative. Uh, But, and and some of them weren't weren't even that like topical news negative. They were just, it it was just interesting to see someone be consumed for five minutes on something that, you know, we're all waiting for something and, and on something again. I know it's not important to them, but the way we are programmed right now, we're kind, you know, there's a lot of autopilot just sort of happening. And uh, that is something that happens near retirement. You are the product of the five kind of closest people around you. If the people around you, as you enter retirement or are thinking of selling your business are active, nourish their mind with the right things, believe, you know, maybe I'll just work a little bit, or maybe I'll success the business. 75% to my daughter Mm -hmm. and I'll work 25%. So I'm still like, if that's what other people are around you are talking about, that's what you will be like. If you are around uh, people who are are negative and really in tune with a lot of health ailments, and that's sort of the cornerstone of their conversation, that is what will leak into your life. And again, I, I could be way off, but I just think our minds are powerful and our minds are still powerful at age 60 plus. No, I agree with you. I, and I am, I'm curious about, and you'll tell me if this is somewhere you don't want to go, but <laughs> I'm curious about the, the mind, the mindset stuff. Cause as we were talking about before, it's something everyone has encountered, um, you know, the idea of 
thinking positively, envision your goal, do your affirmations to the point that for someone like me, who's a cynic, I'm just like, I've heard that before. It's like, it's bogus, even though it's like, well, I've never done it, (laughs) but I just feel like because I've heard it so many times, I can assume that it doesn't work, that it's, um, whatever, like new agey. I mean, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm wondering, like, for for you, like, have you just always been a you seem like a really positive minded person, or is this something you've had to work on? And, and how how do you do that? Uh, I would say so. The first thing that popped in my mind was um, Tim Ferriss was like he wrote the Four Hour Work Week, and he has a, a podcast too. But he he used to prescribe to saying if I can't materially quantify something within like a day or say a reasonable timeline. And if I'm not going to do anything about it, or I can't significantly change the direction of whatever, I'm literally going to crumple it up and I'm just going to throw it away. And I'm not even going to think about it anymore. So Mm -hmm. in today's society, that is more, you know, it's been around forever, but it's, it's now in our face more, especially with COVID. Um, conspiracy theorists, cynics, like all those stories. If it, like, if you take that analogy, it's like, well, I can't research, I can't research that enough to get the answer in like the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Then I'm not even, I, I just, it goes in and out. It doesn't become part of my ethos. And some people say, well, that's, you're not up to speed with current events. It's like, well, yeah, I'm aware of them, but I know that I can't do anything about it. I know that I can't figure out the actual truth. Because again, you got the media, you got all these dark websites that do the fact right. check and all this. That's like, great, great. But honestly, my goals are spend more time in my acreage with my children. My goals are do a hell of a job for clients and spend an extra five minutes with them on the phone to figure out what's actually important to them. You know, those are goals that are written down in a sheet. And I will pull those out regularly and go, okay, this is my true north. And I'm aware of stuff happening, but it, it isn't, I'm very mindful when I, I even noticed this morning. So I, uh, I don't ha- I have Facebook, but I don't usually have the app on my phone. And I had to post something on the, the marketplace to sell something. And so, you know, I go on there every once in a while and check if there's any messages, people asking about what I'm selling. and so. This morning, it was like habit from old days, click on the app, start scrolling. Yeah. And, 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 and I, like, I'm, you know, motorsports guy. So most of my stuff is like motorsports and different things. It's like, I don't need to follow up on, I don't need to know that I, I, I had sat down at my desk and so just old habits. And so I had to like, oh, close it, get you know, get on the computer and, you know, I started doing more research on what we were going to talk about today. And it's just, that's just one, that's just one little moment that happens. You know, people can look up how much you touch your phone in a day. It's, it's, it's shocking. Horrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's not a natural thing. It's something that's worked on. It's something that, you know, uh, Wayne Dyer was, was one of the first motivational CDs that, that I ever got. He wrote a book called the power of intention. I think he's actually passed away, but he, you know, it was like around when the secret 
came out. He was like, you watch that movie. He's like, you know, write a check for a million dollars, put it on your ceiling and stare at every night. It's like, that's a bit hokey. But Wayne took that. So he actually had his book out before, but he took it to a whole new level of like, what is intention and, and, you know, setting, you know, course. And again, you can get the book. It's, it's another classic, like think and grow rich. Uh, but it's a, it takes to another level of just like, you just, seeing it or writing, you know, I want a million dollars doesn't mean you get it. So it's like, right. how do intentional be focused on it? Um, yeah. One thing that, that I forgot to mention, you'd asked about as you get older, the second million happens easier. And I think one thing that I see in my wealthy and, and high net worth families is the connections that they have. I touched on it, but I didn't really expand on it is you know, when you are connected to more people and more open to connecting, uh-huh. you have a better chance for good luck. And a number of my clients, and I see it in even a couple of my friends, they, they really seem to be lucky. There's just, you know, something pops up or there's a piece of real estate that's not going to be listed. Do you want it? Yeah, I want it. You know, like there's just these little luck things. And the more, you know, I've done a number, read a number of books on luck and how it works and, you know, if it can be actually quantified, but a lot of that is as you get older, you have more connections, right? You have more connections in business and, and, you know, you have more opportunity. So that's, you know, just being around longer, usually you can be wealthier if you're still, you know, so it's kind of a, a good, maybe a good bookend for three feet from gold that, you know, you we all want stuff now, right now. And usually we can get it. Uh, especially if you got a bit of money, you can usually get it, but the best stuff might just need a bit more patience than you're used to. And it will be that much more rewarding. Right. Cool. Any final, <laughs> final questions? What's well, give, I guess... give the listeners a, a snapshot of what, what you're up to, uh, Frankie. Cause I know that, uh, I did a lot of talking and we're going to do a number of more episodes, but uh, what's got you excited in the, in the art space? What's got me excited? I mean, I have more questions about like money and wealth, (laughs) (laughs) which as an art person, you're never supposed to say excites you, but it definitely interests. I I mean, I think um, we have no choice but to be interested in it and that could be a positive or negative thing but I mean I think what I want to ask you and it's like another one of like philosophical question and just like thinking for me like my whole life money has been I mean when I think about growing up and we were always fine nothing bad happened because of money like we weren't evicted we I, I didn't have any lack of anything we went on nice vacations but you know, my memories of my parents fighting, it was always about money. If there was stress in the house, it was always because of money. And again, both my parents had professional jobs. We were fine. Today, my husband and I fight. It's about money. Even when we think we're not fighting about money, if we break it down later, it's about money. And again, we're fine. We've always been fine. Um, Obviously, it would be nice to have more. It'd be nice to do more stuff. But we're okay but I think there's this belief that once you know once he gets this promotion everything will be okay once I start this new job then we'll be able to relax and this won't be a stress anymore so I'm wondering 
I'm curious from your experience working with your your clients who may have enough money for it to be managed professionally. Does is that stress still there? Oh wow! Um, now this is now we're getting to the meat. Thank you uh, for sharing that and having the bravery to to share that because that I could I would just tell you my own experience. Um, my wife and I, you know, have been together for we're married for 12 years and together for, um, almost 20. So, uh, you know, there's a very short break early on in our relationship, but at the same time, uh, when we met my, my business was much different than it was today. And so same thing, I would be telling her, Hey, you know, when I get this many clients, things are going to be, uh, better, you know, things are, but the watermark of expenses, you know, I, I think there's actually a term for it. it's called lifestyle creep, where you have right. okay, this creep of your, your expense, and you're just like what you justify. You know, right now you might justify going to Canadian Tire or or some department store and spending $80. And you don't right. even but just, you know what? This came up before when you were describing you're you're describing you in the fighter jet saying, like, how do I deserve this? It's <laughs> literally us every time we order takeout. We're like, right. <laughs> we, we don't deserve this. If we order this like $60 takeout meal, we're never going to be able to afford to have kids. Like this is the yes. end of so, Okay. So um, yeah, you definitely have a uh, belief gristle uh, in some way, but I talked about it before and, and uh, maybe we've talked about it in past interviews for articles, but the BAM or your bare ass minimum expenses a lot of people don't ever figure that out. Not a lot of women want to budget. No one wants to be told how much they can spend, which is fine. But it's super important to be aware of like right now, how much comes in and how much goes out. And so if you you do that, that's a pretty simple exercise. You can look back. My wife and I pull out three months of visa statements and we lay them out on the table and we just point and it's a safe environment. You're not allowed to get mad at each other, but it's like, okay, well, that's where the money goes. Um, is that in line with my values and my goals? Uh -huh. You know, I explained, you know, when we moved to this property, I had to buy a lot of tools, uh, hand tools, saws, different things. Uh, that was not kind of money that you normally would spend in a year. So all of a sudden it's like, oh God, like you spend another $880 at whatever for this, but you know, we have work to do here and the work that's being done ups the value of the property. Plus right. from 2010, every year I wrote own an acreage. So that is a goal that I know wasn't a flash in the pan. It was something that I just like, I grew up on one as a kid and it was like, that's how I'd love to, to raise my children. So I think, you know, if, as long as, you know, if the eating takeout is less stress for you to, to cook the meal or him. Right. And it's a goal that you guys, you know, lead busy Easterner type lifestyles, <laughs> then having that time together is going to keep your marriage good. And you can find that justification. Then it, that's a very cheap meal. Like right. that's, you know, so it's just looking at it and going, okay, like, um, is, is the spending in line with our goals? And, and then you can just move on from it. Um, exactly. Okay. And, you know, again, on that topic, one of the things I think that's, that's 
that you might not even realize is that your parents probably ingrained in you at some point. It's like, you need a certain amount of money at a certain age. And so you better sacrifice a lot to this. Then you get it and then you feel secure. If you look at like, I know, like, I know you guys are both like kind of healthy kind of people and, and conscious of what you eat. Uh, you might say, well, maybe I'm not going to retire at 65. Maybe I'll retire at 70. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, before, you know, every investment advisor is going to tell you you need to start investing sooner because they want the fees. <laughs> but the reality is if you didn't start till you're 45, yeah, you, you could have grown it and compounded it longer. And, and yes, the math would show you that you should have started investing at 30. But you know what? If you work till 70 or say, hey, you know, we're going to buy healthier food. We're going to, you know, I, I would say in my own thing, my gym membership is important to me. My gym membership is not a $10 a month place that's in a hole in a mall. It's a place yeah. that I like consciously think that I hope that I'm, I'm keeping my body right so that my insurance premiums are cheaper when I'm older or I'm not needing treatment like that. Who knows? You never know. But that's just a different way of, of sort of viewing spending. Right. Does that kind of help? Yeah, no, I mean... I don't, I know this is like such a ridiculous question, but I have it in my head and I want to yeah. ask you, <laughs> like, it's like, so is there an exact amount of money that you need to have to never be stressed about money again? Oh, that's a, that's <laughs> a big one. So in very, very simple terms, once you know your BAM, you know how much you spend. Right. So if you know how much you spend, let's say you spend 40,000 a year. Okay. So, and who, who knows if you can live on 40, but say that you can. So 40,000 in your bank account every month. And you say, yeah, you know, like 3,500 a month is about what I spend. If you have a million dollars in some sort of investment that gets 4% average return, never mind tax to make it complex, but a million dollars times 4% is 40,000. So if you had a million dollars invested and it got 4% and say you didn't have to pay tax, that would be your 40,000 to spend. So for some people, that million dollars stays invested for the rest of time. They take 40,000 and the million stays intact. Uh If you said, well, I need 60,000 and you're only getting a 4% return, you're going to start to erode the million dollars. But that million dollars might erode down to zero when you're like 85. Mm-hmm. And so you go, okay, like that's a very rough calculation. For other people, they'll use leverage and they have more comfort in getting a big loan and buying, say, a fourplex. And so you get a big loan. If the numbers work, like right now, real estate's so expensive, it's hard to make it really cash flow a lot, but say you get a loan, you collect rent from your four renters and you take whatever's extra above your mortgage payment and taxes and whatever else. And so some people will say, well, that's, that's enough. Uh, okay. So there's, it's not the market you have to always use, but in real simple terms, everyone is so different for their spending. And more than ever before, I see younger generations holding in the back of their head what their parents have. And 
I don't love that planning strategy, but it's starting more like I've seen it more in the last six months than I have in my whole 17 years career where parents are actually cutting, you know, 100 grand checks, 200 grand, 50 grand, and just saying, hey, kid, do something responsible with this. If you have a mortgage, pay it down. If you want to go back to school, go back to school and take the next year off. Like, and so that, that's a new thing because before I would, you know, beat people up and say like, you can't rely on your parents. It's not responsible. But if I'm able to get to the parents and say, Hey, listen, like I've built your plan. The likelihood of you running out of money in these three scenarios, ugly, bad, good is like very low. You've got real estate, you've got stocks, you've got cash in the bank, you've got Bitcoin, you've got uh, a business. Like for all of that to go to zero, the whole world is going to be in, we're all going to, it's going to be an even playing field for everybody. You're not going to be, you know, the odd one out. So if that's the case, we could say, well, instead of like you giving money to your kids when you're 89 and your kids are 60, why not give it to them now when they're 40? When they really could, you know, that could materially change their life if all of a sudden you have a mortgage and then you don't. Mm-hmm. So that like that planning is is very important. And, and it m- many families won't engage in that conversation with me or a collaborative between all the generations, but some will. And the ones that will, I believe, pay less tax in the end. They don't screw up their kids because I always get told, like, oh, I don't want to fuck up my kids. If I give them money, they're going to be entitled little bastards. Well, that when they're 40. And you right. already know that they've, they've already established a life and, you know, they were, then that might be some old belief crystal too, that can be let go of. I mean, I, I'm curious when you say that's something some people don't like talking about with you, like, do you, is that something you encounter a lot that like family, like family stuff is like off limits. People aren't comfortable. The classic one there. is like the will. You know, yeah. we're just going through some family stuff right now and uh, some stuff's in place and some stuff's not. Uh, the stuff that's not in place is quite messy. Uh, and all of a sudden people who are totally amicable are not. Right. Um, and you're talking, you know, dollars. So um, th- again, there's, a, there's a, a guy that I've had in the podcast before. He's a, he's a great, he's my book mentor, uh, Tom Deans, Dr. Tom Deans. He wrote a book called Every Family's Business, and he, you know, he gave a presentation to 80 business owner families that I have, and he brought out his actual uh, will out of his briefcase, ink signature on it, and he said, this is actually my will. And you know, a lot of people were like, oh, where's he going with this? Like, he's like, how many <laughs> of you carry your real will in your briefcase? And, and it was a lot of like father, son, mother, daughter, family businesses. And so you know, you know, he's like, if they are brave enough, who would actually show their, you know, children, their wills, like nobody puts up their hands, whether they're all asleep and wasn't listening. I don't know. But the point he was making is that people generations above us, the will was a big secret. Right. And I don't want to tell them what they're getting because that'd be bad. That'll change the dynamic, but, or or they'll murder me. Well, yeah. or, Or that, you know, it's like, if that's not the case, then obviously it would screw up the dynamic if we showed them. But what I see is quite the opposite. And I think it's all about 
case by case basis. You know, if your kids are 17, then maybe you don't tell them. If they're 29, they're a lawyer or they're a professional or they're a marketer or they're like somebody that has actually been to school and competent, uh-huh. then you can share them. And, and what I often encourage clients to do is, you know, say, hey, why don't you take, you know, their kids are 28, 29. They can't buy a house. They can't, you know, especially in Kelowna, it's like your average house price is a million. Where does a 28 year old have 400,000 to put down? And they've been working at an 80 grand a year job. It just doesn't happen. So why not help your child buy a duplex? So maybe you could buy a duplex for, you know, maybe, and it's a not as chic part of town, but buy a duplex for a million or at 1.2, make, you know, one side rented out and you know, help put the down payment down for your, your adult child on the other side. And then, you know, you've got some responsibility and maybe at some point you forgive the money you gave them for the down payment and say, don't worry about it, mm-hmm. but you're teaching them, you know, how to, how to manage assets. And that's, mm-hmm. that's not being taught right now. And with yeah. the, with the, with an advisor or with a professional uh, and some openness, uh, you know, you need to tell someone a professional, like my net worth is 14 million. And that advisor goes, well, you spend 20 grand a month. Like you're not going to run out of money, mm-hmm. even at a 0% return. So why don't we be a little more strategic? You could use a little more real estate in your overall portfolio. Um, you know, permanent life insurance. There's a strategy where parent can take out a policy or grandparent can take out a policy on a child parent who has lots of money puts a lot of money into the life insurance policy. It builds up equity. And when the, the parent or grandparent dies, the ownership of the policy transfers to the child who the policy's on uh-huh. tax-free. So when you're like, it's called the cascading strategy where you cascade the wealth down with no tax. And again, that, okay. that you can't pass real estate or stocks on hand to hand to a child without tax on the adult, the, the parent's estate. So a lot, like a lot of wealthy families will say, we're wealthy. Why do we need life insurance? You don't need life insurance. You use life insurance or you want it as a strategy. It's just a numbers in and out and, and a tax thing. So that's a, that's a good you kind of got into a, a, a good point there that I haven't talked about in a while. Okay. <laughs> I think we're good. You're okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show, Frankie. And I, I, I feel like I was on your show. Uh, so <laughs> I think we should do this again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we uh, will come up with a cool name and for anyone listening, we still will have, six more episodes uh, on various topics. And, uh, and I look forward to, for you guys to get to know Frankie as well. Thank you. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.